For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. So I want to talk tonight about war and peace. And um, Dylan, can you? Um, I said, oh, just there. Uh, so I confess I've never read the book, um, but it is on my reading bucket list. So someday maybe. Uh, So, uh, I want to talk about our situation now uh, with this uh, horrible war in Ukraine. So, uh, to paraphrase Dogen, uh, he says that that Bodhisattva practice is about relieving suffering and providing joy and supporting liberation and awakening. So, In this practice, we find our inner peace and calm in samadhi, in this settling sitting practice. And then we express this with all the difficulties of the world. And we we try to see what are skillful means to respond to the situation in our life in the world. So this uh, very brutal assault on Ukraine by Russia uh, includes intentionally uh, bombing and focusing on civilians. And the Ukrainian people and President Zelensky have been valiant and heroic in resisting this. So, uh, we're, we're uh, at this uh, kind of turning point there, it seems. I do agree with President Biden that there have been war crimes in Mariupol and Bucha and crimes against humanity. We can see it all on our television. This is the world we live in. However, um, people, you know, we, we live in life during wartime, but people in Latin America, South Asia, the Mideast, and many places in Africa do not trust the United States' claims because our gov- governments, uh, many war crimes and crimes against humanity ourselves. And we don't belong to the International Criminal Court by choice. So uh, currently there's genocide in Yemen, thanks to the United States weapons being used by Saudi Arabia. There's also genocide happening in Haiti, in Colombia, in Western Sahara and other parts of Africa and Gaza, all supported by the United States and its 
massive weapons. So it, all of this is very difficult now and very complicated. And there's no uh, clear, easy um, definitions or responses. It, there were uh, uh, fairly recently clear options for peace in Ukraine. Uh, President Zelensky in Ukraine uh, were willing to claim neutrality. So the bottom line is that um, there's no real military solution. The United States and Ukraine seem to be doing very well now, but um, how do we see diplomacy and uh, compromise? This isn't just a problem in Ukraine. This is a problem in our lives and in our practice too, and in our culture very much so. So, um, any we're in a dangerous time. Any military solution might incite um, Vladimir Putin to use horrible weapons like nuclear, war like nuclear weapons. So, I want to talk about how I see what's happening and how we face it and how we respond and practice to it, practice with it. The United States weapons companies are making billions of dollars from the Ukrainian war. Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, General Dynamics, Boeing, just to name five of the uh, largest and most dangerous American weapons companies, um, are extreme war profiteers. And uh, as President Eisenhower said when he talked about the military-industrial-congressional complex, um, they have great influence over our whole foreign policy. So these are the masters of war that Dylan sang about a long time ago. Most of the former generals or admirals who you see on MSNBC or CNN as military analysts and pundits are also employed by these weapons companies to promote weapons use, although they don't uh, identify themselves that way. Fifty-three percent of the entire United States budget, now probably significantly more than that, but it was 53 percent, goes to the military even as politicians claim that we cannot afford genuine health care, even during a pandemic, that we cannot support education, um, we cannot support decent wages, especially for quote-unquote essential workers, we cannot afford infrastructure repair. This year, global military spending was $2 trillion. This year, the United States military spending was $800 billion, greater than the nine next countries combined, including uh, 
two and a half million, uh, two and a half times more than China, ten times more than Russia. And nuclear weapons was the um, largest increase in the United States military. So we're living in a very dangerous time. And excuse me for talking about this. Um, I know it's unpleasant to talk about. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to see it. But our practice is to face difficulties and look for skillful responses. None of this is to criticize our regular American soldiers, many of whom enlist from noble motives or from lack of alternatives. But I'm speaking about the war merchants and the profiteers. The Ukraine war is also about oil and fossil fuels. Russian oil imports are important for Europe and, and for the Russian economy. This war could be, could have been, maybe still could be, an opportunity for massive conversion to renewable energy projects to protect our broken climate. Instead, it has been gas, uh, gas and oil companies, gas companies have been price gouging and making billions of dollars from the war, fossil fuel companies. And sad to say, President Biden has recently opened public lands for more oil drilling. So this is the world we live in. And the Ukraine war has produced many, many refugees, millions of refugees within the Ukraine and, and into Eastern Europe. And they've been graciously received by Poland and other European, Eastern European countries, and some in the United States. But at the same time, refugees from war in Haiti, Central America, Africa, the Mideast, that is to say non-Europeans, are being deported by the United States and by other European countries, some likely to death in the countries they came from. African students in Ukraine were not admitted to European countries. So yes, what the Russians have and, and Putin are doing in Ukraine is uh, a war crime. But as to United States war crimes, Julian Assange has been imprisoned and tortured in England for years for revealing United States war crimes clearly in WikiLeaks, the crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now he faces being uh, deported to the United States where leading politicians have called for his execution. So uh, there's uh, an imbalance in the world. There's In our, in our culture, particularly, there's a strong militarization.
this may seem beyond or aside from our realms, realm of practice for each of us. We can lobby political and corporate leaders to cut our military budget to try and uh, emphasize diplomacy, compromise. Change comes from the ground up. It's not from our leaders. So it's up to us in some ways to change all of this. American Zen people have criticized the Japanese Senate war. Um, information that has been published now about how Japanese Zen people supported the militarization of Japan in the 30, 40 years leading up to World War II. So, uh, of course, Japanese Zen was more important and powerful than American Zen is in America. But um, we still need to see how can we respond skillfully? So, the world needs diplomacy and dialogue, not aggression. This is not just, this is a cultural problem. This is an issue for our culture that we are all part of and that we all influence. Uh, not all of our culture, but much of our culture includes aggression. It sometimes seems like the only, or the first option in conflict resolution is aggression, attack military metaphors. Our society is um, caught in this. Our practice is about peace. And peace isn't some simple thing where we just, you know, turn to the wall and, not, and, and don't pay attention to the conflicts in our world, in our sangha, in our own body and mind. All of this is difficult. How do we face the reality of our cult, the, the aggression in our culture? This mass militarization uh, is in some ways the basis of our economy now, not complete, not exclusively, but pundits uh, uh, are now talking about how we need to renew manufacturing in this country. We sort of got rid of it all. We sent it all off to China. Now we have problems with China. Now we have sanctions here and there. So uh, we need to renew simple manufacturing of things other than weapons of mass destruction. So part of this, part of the response is our practice and also our vision, our seeing from our experience of Zazen that actually something else is possible. It's possible for human beings to encourage cooperation and dialogue and 
listening and uh, problem solving not based on aggression. We can do that in our own everyday lives. So it's a kind of uh, seems like a given that human beings fight wars. It's, you know, the historians say this has always been the case. A lot of history is just the history of different wars. But for just folks, for us, for each of us, how do we see, you know, the possibility of aggressiveness in our own hearts and minds? How do we see that we can convert this to caring, to kindness? We just chanted the Metta Sutta, the wish for may all beings be happy. To not, ex- not make exclude other people, us and them, to see that we are all connected. The whole world is so connected now. To see that what happens in Ukraine and many other places affects all of us. This is the work of Sangha. This is the work of community. But not only within our particular Sangha, but in how we see not just the people, but all the beings of the world. I believe that it's possible to not have a world that's just about warfare. My whole life has been in the midst of war from Vietnam, Iraq and Afghanistan, and all the many other wars that uh, the United States supports surreptitiously and other countries too. How do we actually imagine as John Lennon said, a world of peace, a world of kindness, a world where we can actually talk to each other and we can somehow get uh, President Zelensky and Vladimir Putin to talk with each other and figure out what is it that that each side needs, how do we uh, provide that, I do believe that this is possible and that part of our practice is to uh, be a seed for that, to create seeds for caring and compassion, cooperation, dialogue. So this brutal, horrible, war in Ukraine where so many civilians, so many children are being assaulted and attacked intentionally. It's horrible. Um, but wars, many wars are horrible, including the wars that our government has perpetrated. <sighs> so um, 
I don't have answers to this, but I want to encourage us to think about peace. What is it like? What would it be like to have peace? And how do we start that? How do we, you know, as as uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says, how do we be peace ourselves? How do we see our own possibility of aggression and turn it to caring, dialogue, cooperation? So I felt I felt like I had to say something about all this. And I'm interested in your comments, questions, responses. Please feel free. Those on Zoom, you could raise your uh, physical or digital hand to be acknowledged. Thank you. And uh, those of you here at Ebenezer also, if you have responses or comments. It's uncomfortable to talk about this <laughs> in a Dharma talk. I'd much rather talk about old koans and, and uh, meditation practice and uh, you know, the things that help bring us our inner peace. But um, we have some responsibility to the world. Uh, Tygen, Ken Anderson here. Hey, Ken. Hi. How you doing? Always nice to hear you speaking. The um, I don't have a okay. Go ahead. I don't have a video, so I can't raise my video hand. So oh, I see. Okay, I have to speak up. But yeah, this has been an interesting topic uh, for me, and of course for everyone. Uh, but there are two aspects to it that uh, uh, it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on it. For one, in tr- the diplomacy part of it is clearly very crucial and the um, uh, the um, starting in 2008 the Russians told the United States that they would not tolerate a state adjacent to them that was part of NATO because of the possibility of putting military hardware and uh, you know rockets and the whole you know the whole caboodle right next to Russia Uh, but the United States through the program of um, promoting do- democracy and the colors revolutions, uh, kind of shined them on on that, and in, in, up to the point of last fall, where Blinken was negotiating with, um, I think Lazarov is his name, the uh, Russian representative, and um, uh, Professor Mearsheimer of the UFC uh, has gone so far as to say that NATO and the United States were, uh, to a big extent, uh, you know, they were part of the linear equation in terms of what the cause for this war was. And then the other part of it, my second point or second topic, is that, uh, you know, as you say, sometimes it takes skillful means to prevent, and I think prevention is better better than solving, but to prevent... uh, warlike situations. And uh, after World War II, 
the United States and the Soviet Union uh, negotiated, you know, a test ban treaty and then limits on weapons and that kind of thing. And they avoided nuclear war for, well, from 1950, 55 until recent history when some of these limits are being uh, eliminated or allowed to expire. Ukraine uh, opted to give up the nuclear weapons that were on its soil in, um, in the 1990s after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Would it have been skillful means for the Ukraine to, keep, to have kept their nuclear weapons to avoid, well, to have that deterrent for anybody who that would try to invade Ukraine? Just two topics that came to mind, and, uh, you know, it's tough to uh, make a call on them, I think. But it'd be, if you have any ideas on that. Thank you, Ken. Um, yeah, I, I didn't want to get too far into the weeds, uh, but you've brought up a couple of really important points about all of this. And by the way, Ken is one of our Sangha's uh, uh, Armed Forces veterans, so I appreciate that, Ken. Um, well, thank you for your service. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, that that's, thank you for the word service there, because um, that's part of, a big part of what our practice is. We sit upright, enjoy our inhale and exhale, and Study the self, as Dogen says. See all the, the you know, the part of that is studying our own capacity for aggressiveness, each of us, but also seeing our capacity for caring and kindness. So, yeah, the the uh, thing about NATO is uh, true that um, you know when the Soviet Union collapsed. The United States Secretary of State promised Gorbachev that NATO would not expand to the east. And in some ways, what's going on now in the Ukraine is very uh, parallel to the Cuban Missile Crisis, 62, which maybe there's nobody else here in the room who remembers that. I do. It was a time of, uh, yeah, Joe on Zoom raised his hand. Uh, yeah, it was a time when everybody was... Um, afraid there was going to be a nuclear war any minute. I mean, it was real, it was palpable. There was just fear on every, in the streets in, in America and around the world. Uh, and thanks to the test ban treaty and other nuclear arms limitation treaties, you know, we've sort of forgotten about that danger, but it's here again. And partly it's, you know, just like we were, did not want to have missiles in Cuba so close to the United States Russia, uh, you know, reasonably from their point of view, doesn't want to have uh, you know, countries with with American, with Western, NATO, American missiles, whatever, uh, right near their country. Um, so it was very significant that President Zelensky offered to to not enter NATO and to be neutral. Uh, anyway. Uh, those negotiations weren't weren't able to be worked out. There might still be a way. Uh, it's very complicated. Diplomacy is uh, very complicated. Uh, but you know, uh, Ken, you also brought up the the treaties, and 
um, one of the things that's uh, that causes mistrust of our government around the world is that, well, under President Trump, we broke those treaties, but that we haven't, um, some of them, we, well, we never signed on to the International Court in The Hague. Um, and there was a working nuclear, anti-nuclear treaty with Iran, um, but Trump got rid of that and Biden has not uh, renewed it. And so, we're, you know, this isn't just, uh, this is not just a function of one political party. It, again, it, it's part of the question for all of us is the way in which our whole country has been since the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, has been significantly militarized. We can't decrease the military budget because the um, there are military bases and defense contractors in almost every congressional district, certainly in every state. So uh, it's very complicated and it's very difficult. But I but what I want to actually emphasize is the way in which it affects all of us. In our culture, I mean, there's, there's so many examples, the mass um, shootings in schools, the popularity of um, police shows, and um, which I watch myself because they're very skillfully done and dramatic. But, um, you know, it's just part of our culture, this, this uh, militarization. So... Um, how do we respond and encourage and really actively promote discussion, cooperation, caring, seeing that we're not separate from the people around us. It's not us and them. This has been one of the gifts of the pandemic, as horrible as it has been for so many people that, uh, you know, thanks to Zoom and, and just this awareness of how the pandemic won't be really taken care of until people all over the world can get the vaccine. Anyway, thank you for your comments, Ken. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Tygen. Other reflections, responses? Yes, hi. Uh, what, what's your name? Mavanui. Where are you from? Uh, we're in Australia, in Canberra. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> I don't think we, we've uh, had people from Australia here yet. Other <laughs> I was listening to one of your take shows on, on a podcast um, this morning, and uh, Alex decided to Google the Sangha, and we realized that the service started in 11 minutes. So... <laughs> 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 but I've been Glad reading your book, so um, <laughs> that's how I, we kind of found out about all this. Um, so I'm glad that we were able to come and actually see you in person. Well, in person. Um, but something that, that I kept reflecting on as you were talking is even the desire for there to not be war and violence in myself has a kind of violence to it. It's 
there is this kind of rejection. But you kept saying, and I, it, every time you said this, I think you said it two or three times, this is the world we live in. And I think that that kind of was the key point for me in your talk, is that we can we can talk about all the problems and we can analyze and and agonize over it but this is the world we live in and th- and then what like yes how do we actually embrace that and i find that as soon as i start getting kind of in my head about like all the complexities of the political situation which as an individual really have i have very little power over it just takes me so far away from my practice um and for me it's it's finding a way back to how I practice with that right now that that tension and that that anguish that I feel of just this is the world we live in and and then what um so I was wondering if you could speak to that thank you yes yes and and uh thank you for coming from Australia to be with us and please check out the uh, schedule on our website and come to, our, we have many other offerings. Please come again. And uh, you're not the only people coming from overseas. I see Juan Pablo Restrepo has joined us and he's a member of our Sangha in Patagonia in Argentina. So um, the world is all connected. The world is all connected. It's important that we feel that. So, one of the things you said is that there's nothing, you know, in terms of all the complexities of the political situation, um, you know, we feel like there's nothing we can do. I hear that. I understand that. I agree. In some ways, yes, that seems like what can, you know, I mean, there are people in Chicago who are helping Ukrainian refugees, uh, for example. There are things that can be done. And yet, as you... Um, as you say, it feels like beyond us. Um, I'll come back to that. But the, but what I wanted to emphasize was that how we are with the people we are engaged in, engaged with, with the people that we can see, uh, can change things for people here in the United States. And I think it's probably true in Australia and Argentina and even in Los Angeles, where Amina is, that um, this the culture of militarization, which we don't like to think about, is sort of like beyond what we can deal with. But this sense of uh, solve we solve conflicts through violence and aggression. Uh, it's just part of our culture now. We can make a difference as sangha, as practitioners in our own life, in our own body-mind, and in um, just how we express caring and compassion and cooperation. That change, that can start to change the culture and we start to see the world as not a world of us and them and battling it out, but a world of we're in it together. How do we work together? So that's the main thing I want to say, that our individual practice changes world. We don't see how it does necessarily, but it does. Um, But the other thing I wanted to come back to was uh, we all feel like there's nothing we can do right now about about climate breakdown, about wars, about corruption and so forth. Um, 
And yes and no. I think, as I said before, change happens not because of great leaders who decide to, to, to make things peaceful, but by people demanding it. So um, as an activist myself, I, I, and, as, and there's some other people in our Sangha who have been out on the streets trying to, to lobby and, and protest and, and writing to Congress people and so forth. All of that can make a difference too. But what's most important from the point of view of practice is how do we express cooperation and kindness ourselves? And how do we share that and encourage it with the people around us? So thank you very much for your question. And please do come again. So we have time for uh, one or two more comments or responses. Asian, hi. Hi, Um, You know, I don't actually think that we solve conflicts through violence and aggression. I think what we do is defer conflicts through violence and aggression. That yes. those means don't actually change any anything. Um, they temporarily make things happen in one way. But, um, but, but, you know, I don't have anything different to say than what you're saying, which is that we, you know, the way that we change things is by, um, you know, working with our own inner violence and, and aggression and, and, and coming to see reality and, and, and with each person that we meet, you know, also, um, you know, having a real interaction with them and, um, bring some some caring and concern and and that I think is really what changes things it's lovely that we can do that in our enclosed space but uh, but also within the zoom sangha so that we then you know as we interact with each other um, either locally in the room or you know widely through zoom or, or, or with all the other beings we meet we we change the possibility that each of us will then go on to have, you know, healing and productive and caring and, and changing interactions with other beings. And, and we will then, you know, bring that to someone else. It's, it's a very um, painstaking and laborious process, but, and it's not as fast maybe as violence and aggression, but it's really, I think the only thing that changes anything. Thank you. Yes, well said. Uh, yeah, violence and aggression doesn't actually actually really solve anything. It just defers uh, <laughs> solutions. But but yes, uh, in our own, you know, part of our practice is to work on our own cushion and see all of these conflicts within ourselves. But then, how do we take it out into the world through sustained practice? When we go out into our lives, into our workplaces, into our engagement with our families and neighbors and, and all of that, we start, we start to become peace. We start to become, uh, you know, caring and concerned, as you said. And that has a ripple effect. And so that's, you know, that's slow. And I do think there are ways we can respond, you know, more socially, but, uh, politically, but, 
the main thing is changing hearts and minds. Seeing, hearing. So thank you, Isha. Other, time for one more comment or response. Oh, hi, uh, Wade. <laughs> hi. Um, one, one delusion that I struggle with frequently is uh, thinking that the world would be a better place if everyone just did what I told them to. <laughs> um, if everyone just uh, thought um, and acted the way that I think and act. And so that's, uh, I don't have much to say about it other than that that's, that's, a, that's a good thing to practice with because that is, that is for sure a delusion. It's, you know, if Putin just thought the way that I thought, <laughs> he just did what I thought he should do, then everything would be solved. But of course, that's, it's not really true. And it's also not the world. But yes, that's a really important point that our, for all of us, we have some impetus or desire to control things. You know, there are things we want to control. And, and Vladimir Putin certainly wants to control a lot of things. And he thinks he can do it by being incredibly brutal to the people of Ukraine. Um, uh, but that's the problem. We, we can't actually really control much of anything, any of us. We can control some things. I can decide when to stop talking, but, um, you know, there's things we can control. But mostly, um, the world has its own karma. It, it, there's the karma of, you know, we have a collective karma that uh, dictates a lot of what happens. But we can work against the grain of that by committing to practice and committing to uh, caring concern. So, but this, but what you said, Wade, about seeing our own wanting to control things, that's a big part of the problem. Let go of your idea that you can control the whole, the whole thing. And uh, if, if uh, Vladimir Putin did that, um, we'd be better off. So thank you for that. It's a time for us to close. Ken, your hand is up on the screen. Right? Do you, did you want to say something else? That's not Ken's hand. No. Oh, that's just the cursor. Okay, I thought I saw a hand on the screen. There. Okay. Um, well, thank you all very much. Um, this is, of course, something that we need to work with the rest of our lives. <laughs> um, and uh, please take care of yourselves and be kind. So let's, uh, if, uh, if the Tokyo would lead us, please, in the four bodhisattva vows, which we chant three times. <laughs> 